You need the Lord? Yeah, I think so. I certainly do. Boy, on a day-to-day basis, I need the Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to be looking at the 6th through the 10th verses today. But uh, just to give you a little update on the situation with the church up in Chico that uh, is ministering with Paradise in the different areas, I called the pastor, I think it was on Friday, just to see how they were doing and let them know that we were sending an offering up that we had taken. And I am, I'm excited about the fact that we can be part of that and for the generosity of this church, thank you. But as I was talking to him, I said, well, well, what all is happening? He says, well, as people come and we're going to our membership first and asking them if they have friends up there in paradise that need help, and then they can apply for a grant. I think it was about a $5,000 grant. And I said, well, where are you getting the money? He says, from people just like you, just like you that are giving and sharing. He said, we've got about $40,000 right now that we're able to give out, and uh, I forget how many he was just given $50 to different individuals that had needs this, the week before, and uh, I forget how much money he'd given out, but quite a bit, uh, just being able to share with people and encourage them. That's a cause and effect. We're going to talk about cause and effect this morning a little bit when we talk about planting and sowing, or sowing and reaping. Uh, but the idea is that when we do something that's positive, it has a positive result. He said the pastors there have formed a a coalition where they're getting together. They found one of the churches in the area that didn't burn, and so when people come there, they can get shovels and all kinds of different things to go into the sites where their homes are to begin to clean up and do some of the work. They have that prepared for them. They have chaplains that are there available every day uh, to minister to the people, and it's just exciting to see what the churches are doing up there. I hear the news on TV. Well, they're looking for the federal government to send the money. We're looking forward to that coming. And I thought, wow, what an impact they already see from the churches. Churches that are coming out and ministering Christians that are having an impact. And I think that is exciting to see that. And so uh, it just kind of brought to me mind the fact that we are to do good uh, to all people, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. And we're going to look at that in, in Galatians chapter 6 this morning. But uh, let me begin by reading this, and then I want to go back and just hit on some of the things we've already looked at. In Beginning in verse 6 of chapter 6 of Galatians, it says, The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I I just pray that today you would open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us. This is your word, Father, and I pray that it would go out as your word this morning. You have said that when your word goes out, it will not return void, and I pray that it would certainly bear fruit in the lives of each and every one of us as we study what this passage says. May your Holy Spirit lead and direct and guide and Pray that we would be open to your leading. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. D. 
To get a little better idea of where we're going, I want to go back and just touch on a couple of the verses and the passages that we've already looked at because you want to keep a passage in context. You don't want to just pull something out of context and make it say something other than what God intended for it to say. So as we go back to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, it says, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For it says in verse 14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That should be indicative of our lives that we love each other. That's what Jesus said. He said, If you keep my commandments, you'll love me. And then he said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And so that should truly be a, a statement concerning our church here at Brentwood Bible Fellowship. Down in verse 16 it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. There's this war going on inside of you, pulling you away from God and pulling you towards where he wants you to be. It says the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit is against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then it goes on and talks about some of these deeds that are of the law. And then we go back up to verse 25. But let me just take verse 22 because it kind of gives a picture of what our lives should be like if we're being led by the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love. There it is again. Joy, peace. Well, I don't know how many people I talk to that crave peace. They crave having joy in their life, and they just seem to have missed it. And, and I really believe one of the primary reasons is because we're feeding the wrong force within our own lives. We're, we're not feeding the Spirit, but we're feeding the flesh. And so we miss out on that love, joy, and peace that God promises here. Kindness, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Self-control, against such things there is no law. Verse 24 and 25, it says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, all those things that we're not supposed to be doing. And it says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And then last week we talked about some of the things that should be Depicted in the life of the believer, one is that we need to be agents of restoration. Uh, that first verse talks about the idea that if there is a brother or sister and you see them sinning or moving into a state where they may fall away from God, they begin to wander. It says in love and in joy, we draw them back. The idea is always restoration for a fallen brother or sister. It's not destruction. We, we don't want to just cast them aside if possible, but we want to draw them back into that relationship with God. The second thing we saw is that we are to bear one another's burdens. That simply means when a brother or a sister, a Christian, is struggling with some issue in their life that they can't really handle. Now, we all have burdens. That's what the Bible says here. We have things that we face every day. Uh, for moms and dads that may be raising their kids, person goes to work, maybe just dealing with the other person at work. Uh, it may be finances, all kinds of things that we deal with every day. 
But it's talking about that burden of the individual that just seems so heavy and they just need you to come alongside and help them lift it up. Uh, when it says we're not to forsake our assembling together, we're to come together to encourage one another. I think that's part of it when we encourage one another, but lifting that burden. I remember uh, last summer we were at family camp with the church families and Darlene had got, and I had gotten there early. And in our campsite, right next door, there were three young men. They were college students. Uh, they were from, I believe, two of them from Denmark. They weren't from Denmark. Was it Denmark? Uh, hmm? Belgium. They were from Belgium. And uh, they had gone to school here for a year, and so they would met a friend in Sac State, and this friend was now taking them on a tour. They'd come back over to the United States, and he was taking them on a tour down uh, through the California coast. And so they were going to be camping there one night. They didn't have any chairs or anything. And we looked, and they seemed like nice young guys. And pretty soon they came over, and Darlene and I had been looking at our, our picnic table. And uh, it's pretty heavy. Of course, I could lift my end, but you know, Darlene, I didn't. <clears throat> so anyway, we looked at this picnic table, and we thought, that's kind of heavy to carry over there. And they came over after a while, and there was a big log there by our fire, and they didn't have any chairs, and we offered them chairs, and they said, no, can we borrow the log? They didn't bring it back. They should have if they borrowed it. But anyway, they took the log, and we said, we'll make you a deal. You can have the log if you'll move our table. They had to bear our burden. And uh, being the negotiators we are, we got our table moved. But what I want you to understand is sometimes there are those things, and this is just a, a kind of interesting illustration that is the idea that sometimes we need to have people come alongside and help us. We may have people in the church that are sick. They're struggling. They can't deal with things around the home very well. And I know of some today in our church, and they just need somebody to come alongside and I say, I'll be there every couple of days. I'll come alongside. I'll help out. That's bearing one another's burdens in the body of Christ. Do you know what? People see that. Jesus said, you know, they'll know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And uh, cause and effect, people see it and it affects them. And they begin to see the church and they see Jesus Christ in a totally different light. Because we step out and, and we become those burden bearers. As we go on in this chapter to the sixth verse, it's interesting that Paul put this in here. Maybe it was the idea of bearing the burden of the pastor, I don't know. But in verse 6 it says, the one who is taught the word is to share, and that share comes from the word for fellowship. It means to have something in common. So the one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. He is to, all good things are basically material type things, and so he's to come alongside, and he is to assist the pastor or the teacher, probably in a financial manner. You know, there are other passages that talk about this. But one of the primary reasons is so that your pastor or your teacher, your youth pastor, whoever it is, will have the finance or will have the time and the ability to do the things that God's called him to do. If you look back into Acts chapter 6, you see a situation where there were ladies within the church, elderly ladies who 
didn't have enough to eat and they weren't taking care of them the way they should. And some people came to the apostles. The apostles were like the pastors at that time. And they said to them, we, we have these ladies and they need somebody to take care of them. And the apostles said, well, we think it's good. Somebody should. Choose for yourself seven spiritual individuals to handle the ministry. Because we need to focus on studying the word and prayer. And you see, when you begin to support your pastoral staff, that gives them the time to do what God has called them to do, what they were supposed to do, and, and what he wants. You know, I just look back at some of the things in the, in the Bible where it talks about this, and pastors don't like to speak on this, and we don't do it very often. But when it comes up in the scriptures, uh, we will share what the Bible has to say. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul was speaking to the Corinthian believers, and uh, in verse 11, he made this statement, if we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? You go over to verse 14, and he says, So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. And that's probably one of the things that Paul's talking about right here. Now, I have to tell you something. I, um, as far as Darlene and I, we're fine. So this church has been good to us, and this is not saying, hey, you better get in and dig a little deeper. This is simply saying this is what the Bible says for all of our staff, that we need to have the needs met and, and evaluate where they are and what they need uh, as far as that. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 5, 1 Timothy 5, verse 17 and 18, it says, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of a double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. There it is again. It's for the pastor, the preacher, the teacher. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. The laborer is worthy of his wages. I, I, you know, as a pastor, I kind of like this passage where it says he's worthy of a double honor. Uh, you can take that two ways. One is that he is worthy of twice as much as all the rest of you. Well, I didn't get much of a laugh on that one. A double honor. We would sit down and we would figure out what the average income is here or what the highest income is here, and then we'd say, oh, the pastor gets twice as much. Uh, some pastors like that, uh, but that isn't probably what it's talking about. What it's saying is that he is worthy of uh, a livable wage, in his community, in, in, with the people that he lives around. And he is worthy because of the office he holds of the honor of the people in the church. That's really the whole idea there, is that we respect the person that is called by God to a specific position, to a specific duty. I, I looked up uh, some statistics the other day on pastors. This, this statement came out on statistics, came out in 2018. And there were some things that, that bothered me. I, I was concerned. And this hasn't anything to do with me, but it certainly goes across the, the board in America. It says 90% of pastors feel that they are called and I'm so happy with that. And they're in the place where God called them. And if nine out of ten believe that, I think that's wonderful. Pastors are satisfied that they're where God wants them 
to be. But on the other hand, 35% of pastors battle depression. And I'm not sure why, but it's there. One out of every 10 pastors will actually retire as a pastor. That means 9 out of 10 drop out. There's a lot of different reasons for that. It, it may be uh, financially a church can't support them and they get into another position, or it may be that they've left a church and they don't find another position. Um, I think there's a lot of different reasons why that can happen, but, but the sad thing is that there are some apparently that just reach a point and say, I'm not quite making it. And they fall away even though they feel they have been called. And uh, sometimes it's because of how the pastor is seen within his church. There's a fourth one, and, and this one just really gets me. The profession of the pastor is near the bottom of a survey of the most respected professions. Do you know that up until about 1950, probably they were the, one of the most respected individuals in their community? And our society has changed. Our culture has changed in how we see the church. I, I, I'm not sure if I like where this puts the pastor or not. It, it, I know it's not true in this church. But uh, the profession of pastor is near the bottom of the survey of the most respected professions, just above a car salesman. I hate to say that to car salesmen. Uh, you know, I want to see them lifted up a little bit. <laughs> but it's, it's the idea that somehow the church has slipped in terms of how it's viewed and how the pastor is viewed and how he fits. And I think sometimes there are those that just step out because of that. And so uh, this idea of a double honor, uh, I think sometimes that's, that's something that needs to be evaluated. A second way to interpret this is to share all good things is simply uh, you share the financial needs, but even more than that, you share how the pastor through his preaching and teaching, has ministered to your life. I think that's one of the biggest things that needs to happen within the church is this is what God's done for me. Let people know. Let people know how God's changed you and how he's impacted your life and how he's made a difference in you. And I'll tell you, when people come and they share with me that there's been answered prayer or something special's happened, that makes my day. I love it when I hear what God's doing. And too often we keep it a secret. We don't share openly how God's met a need or how he's cared for us when we were struggling. And, and sometimes we just need to let people know what God's doing. And sometimes when you're struggling, you need to let them know that too so we can come alongside and pray and help you. It goes both ways. But that's, that's important. And so... Uh, we're to bear one another's burdens. We are to be agents of restoration. We are to support in a positive way those who are ministering within the body. And then we go on in this passage in verse 7. Don't be deceived. Don't be duped. Don't be fooled. Don't fool yourself. God's not mocked. God knows exactly where you are. God knows what's going on in your life. God knows your heart. When uh, David was chosen to be king, uh, Samuel looked at his oldest brother, Eliab, and he said, Whoa, he's going to be a great king because on the outside he looked great. And it says God doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. 
God's not fooled about where we are. We may look great in front of everybody else, but God knows where we are. Some people would think, <laughs> well, they aren't right where they should be, and God's saying they're exactly where they should be. And he blesses that. And I love that. It, it, it goes on here in, in this eighth verse. It says, the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. If you sow to the Spirit, you're going to have a spiritual harvest. If, you load, if, you're, if you're sowing to the flesh, the idea is you're going to have a fleshly harvest. And this is just a natural principle in life. We see it in, in all kinds of things. The idea of what you sow is what you reap. Every farmer knows that. If he goes out and sows tomato seeds, he's going to get tomatoes. If he sows corn, he's going to get corn. We see it every year out here off the bypass. They switch from tomatoes to corn every year. He doesn't wonder. He doesn't sow the seed and say, man, I wonder if that will come up rhubarb or whatever it might come up. You know, he knows exactly what he's going to get, and that's what it's saying here. When you sow to the Spirit, you get spiritual things. When you sow to the flesh, you get fleshly things. That's just where it is. You don't, you don't have a cow that is going to have a calf, and you all sit there wondering what's going to come out. Will it be a camel? No. In fact, back in Genesis, we get this whole picture, Genesis chapter 1. And uh, I want to I go back there, uh, Genesis chapter 1, 24 to 25. Uh, every biology major ought to read this because it speaks of the fact that one species does not naturally morph into another sea species. In uh, John or Genesis 1, 24 and 25, it says, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind. In other words, the same kind of thing that they are, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beast of the earth after their kind, cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God said it was good. I remember on the farm, farm kids learn things early. And I remember a, a mother pig that was having her litter of pigs, and Dad was back there when the babies were born and wiping them off. And I didn't say periodically, I hope one's a bunny. Or I hope one's a kitty. I knew they were going to be little pigs because the mama was a pig. What you sow is what you reap. Mothers don't go get an ultrasound when they're pregnant and wondering what's in there. They know it's a human being, it's a baby. And that's the picture that it's, it's saying here. You know, the, the only one that we could say was a little different was when Mary had a little lamb. But she did, she did, didn't she? His name was Jesus. And he was the Messiah and the Son of God. It's the only one that was different. What we sow is what we reap. When we sow to fleshy things, we get fleshly things. When we sow to spiritual things, we get spiritual things. If you sow to immorality and pornography and those kind of things, when the opportunity comes, you may be unfaithful. If you spend, fail to spend time in, in prayer and in God's Word and, and taking in spiritual things, you're probably going to not experience the love, joy, and peace, and patience in the things that God says are available to the believer. 
It's just there. Because we don't sow to the right things. Some of the things we sow to that are fleshly don't seem so bad. They may things do, have things to do with our job, our business, our homes. They just don't have anything to do with God. Or serving Him. If you show so sharp, confrontational type of conversation, don't be surprised if people argue and fight and bicker with you. Because that's what you're sowing. That's what you get. We need to understand that concept. No peace if we aren't sowing for the kingdom of God. In Galatians 5, 19 to 21, it gives us those things that we don't want. It says the deeds of the flesh are evident. They are immorality and impurity and sensuality. They're idolatry, wrong worship, worshiping the wrong things. They're sorcery, they're enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger. Boy, if that's where you are, don't expect it. People are going to be at peace with you. They're going to be angry. There's going to be disputes and dissensions and factions. Envying what somebody else has, all caught up with what they have. Drunkenness, carousing, things such as these are are not of God. I, I got up on Wednesday morning. Wednesdays, I'm at home now rather than Mondays. And I got up on Wednesday mornings, and I never turn the TV on. I shouldn't say never. That's an all-inclusive word. I seldom turn the TV on when Darlene is not home. But I'd gotten up, and it was about 8.20. And I thought, I'll watch the news. I want to see the weather, what's going on. And so I turned it on just quickly, and there was the George H.W. Bush funeral taking place. And they did more talking about his character I believe, then they talked about his accomplishments, though they said his accomplishments were good. What he accomplished during his presidency was positive, but they talked about how he wanted a kinder, gentler, gentler nation. He was a president that seemed to display that, although he was very competitive himself, and he did not back down when he wanted to get his, whatever he wanted through. But one person said, George H.W. Bush did not hate anyone. The motto that his mother and grandmother had taught him was, hatred corrodes the container it is carried in. We can't hate somebody and expect it not to taint our lives. It impacts who we are. And it doesn't just impact our relationship with that one person. It impacts our relationship with everybody because we become sour, angry people. And it doesn't work. What you sow, that's what you shall also reap. In terms of finances, Matthew 6.24 says you can't serve two masters. You can't serve money and God. You love the one and hate the other. Can't serve them both. It's an impossibility. Where do your finances go? Where do they fit? I thought of the story in Luke 15 of the prodigal son. The prodigal son came to his father one day. He was the second line, so he wasn't going to get a whole lot in terms of the inheritance. But I don't know, his father may have been 40, 45, 
We don't know how old he was, but the young man was old enough that he said, Dad, I don't want to wait till you die. It's going to be a while yet, I think, and I'd like my inheritance now. And so his father said, okay, and he parceled out his inheritance, and it wasn't long before his son left. And he had that money, and he took it out, and it says he frivolously spent it on things that were unimportant. His brother said he spent it on prostitutes until it was all gone. You see, what you sow, you shall also reap. When it was gone, there was a famine in the land, and he didn't have any food, and he didn't have any way to take care of himself, and he finally got a job feeding pigs at a pig farmer's house, and it says, I wanted to eat the food of the pigs because that was the place where I had reached in my life. I was the lowest I could go. And then's when he remembered his father's servants had better than he did. And he went home and his dad lifted him up and hugged him and gave him a coat and everything he needed and restored him. What we say that we're to be as Christians, agents of restoration? Yeah, that's where he was. What you sow, you shall reap. Lord Byron made a statement. He said, the thorns I have reaped are, the, the tr- are of the tree I have planted. They have torn me and I bleed. I should have known what fruit would spring from such a tree. Our society slides downhill. I read about a teacher, fourth grade teacher. a young woman. She was teaching. She was in the classroom and She would say every morning to her students or fourth graders as they would come in, she would say, good morning, class, and they would say, good morning, Miss Smith, or whatever her name was. She got married. She had a family. She went out of teaching for 20 years. She came back. She thought it would be just the same, and she said to her class, good morning, class, and the kind of young thug sitting in the front row said, what do you want? And he used the B word. Culture's changed, hasn't it? I'll tell you, if a teacher has been teaching for 20 years, they'll tell you how much your culture has changed by what their students are like and what their parents are like. And we've watched it slowly slide downhill. What we sow is what we will reap. Verse 9, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. It, it's, it's the idea of being faithful in what we're doing, what God has called us to. Do not lose heart in doing good. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says, Therefore, brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. That God will in his time, and that's the due time, it's God's time at the appropriate time, would probably be a better translation, at the appropriate time you will reap. And sometimes it seems like, wow, I've been doing this for a long time. Maybe you're teaching a Sunday school class. Or you're ministering to an individual and you say, is this ever going to pay off? Look at what these kids are like. Look at how they go out of class. I'll tell you something. I had Sunday school teachers growing up. I went to church, and I sat in classes, and I'm sure as I was there, I, I wasn't a bad kid, but I'm sure as time went on, they wondered, is, is this really worth it? 
especially when I got into my early 20s, did we really mess up in teaching him? They sowed seed into my life. And today they reap the benefit, though they may not realize it. You may be teaching a young person in your Sunday school class or in some other class or in a high school or a grade school, and you may be ministering to them, allowing God to work through you, and you go, this is really a waste of time. But you don't know what's going to happen in the future. And if there are people that come out of my ministry and they begin to minister to others, maybe a pastor comes out of this church someday or one of the other churches, the ministry goes on into eternity because it continues to go and it's part of my ministry and it's part of my Sunday school teacher and my pastors from the past. The impact carries on. When you talk about sowing and reaping, it's a cause an effect principle. If I put ice trays in the refrigerator, in the freezer, they turn to ice. That's the cause and the effect. The effect is I get ice. If I sow to that which is spiritual, I will reap that which is spiritual and honoring unto God. If I sow to that which is not, then I reap the other. Let me give you three keys to sowing. Number one is, is the idea that you need to have proper seed. You need to know the seed you are going to use. So you need to know spiritually what you're going to be giving out. Whether it's a teaching ministry, uh, George W. Bush had said uh, he had a plaque, and, and I've heard it before, but you should always evangelize and sometimes use words. Our lives ought to depict our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's sowing. That's the seed. Uh, if you want watermelon, you put in a watermelon seed. It may put a vine out there 20 feet, but it's not going to grow squash at the end of the vine. It's going to have watermelon. If you are displaying the love of Jesus Christ, that's going to come back in some way. So you need the proper seed. Number two is the type of soil you sow it in. You remember the, the parable of the sower and the seed, and he went out to sow, and he sowed it on some ground, and it was really bad. It was hard. He sowed it on other ground and it was shallow. There was rocks and it sprang up, but it didn't last long. When a crisis situation came up, hardships came up, the person fell away. The third kind of soil, it was weedy soil, full of thorns. Thorny soil. The person got caught up with the cares of the world. Got caught up with making enough money and having a bigger house and driving the right car, and all of those things that we seem to think are so important in our culture. And God's pushed out of the way. And then the other one was he sowed it in good soil, and it says that it sprang up and it produced 30 and 60 and 100 fold. The seed always produces more than it is. When we're involved in doing the work of God, we will see that harvest come at some time. And so the soil needs to be right. Don't give up. Don't quit. Verse 10. So then, while we have the opportunity, this is, this is the application. So then, 
while we or as we have the opportunity. It's the idea of looking for the opportunities. Let us do good to all people. Boy, I really think that's where it comes in to, to be ministering in paradise to those people that are hurting up there. We don't know them. Many of them that may receive the money that we sent may not know Jesus Christ, but that's okay. Because we minister to them out of the love of God, but it says, do it to all people, and then it says, oh, but especially to those who are Christians, those who are of the household of faith. You look for the opportunities within the body. You look for the opportunities among Christians. And you step up. And you do the work. And you don't know when you're going to be rewarded. You don't know when the harvest will come. And that doesn't matter. Because in due time, it will come. At God's time, it will come. And God will use you. And you may not see it this side of heaven. But when you get there, that's probably when you're going to see what you did on earth and the impact it had. And so we have to go home and we have to sit down with pencil and I need to do this. Say, what, what am I doing? Where am I sowing the seed? What seed am I sowing? Is it the seed that is being sown to the flesh or is it the seed that's being sown to the spirit? If it's to the flesh, it's going to be temporal. If it's to the spirit, it's to eternal life. And it makes a difference. And so that should be the goal of all of us. How do we sow to bring about a rich harvest for the glory of God? I am so thankful for what I hear about paradise today. It's a devastating crisis situation, but God's using godly churches and pastors in that area to minister to the needs of the people that are there. And that's where we need to be looking for the opportunities. Let's pray, shall we? Father, what a passage. What a passage. Bearing one another's burdens, Father. Restoring the one who has fallen away. Supporting those who minister to us and being there in good faith to meet the needs that they have. Sowing seed that is to the Spirit. Because I know that if I sow seed to the flesh, it comes out in just ugly ways, Father. It says it's corrosive. It's destructive. It's not right. And so, Father, help us to sow seed that glorifies you. Thank you, Father for your awesome love and your care and your ministry to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.